But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock, and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So, in medicine and in counseling, they often speak about the showing issue or the, the, the symptom and the root cause. Uh, and as we consider this passage, this dispute between the Lord and His people, what would be, you think, the showing issue or, or the symptom of the problem? The symptom is the, the offering leftovers on the table instead of the best. Good, good. So the, I would say the symptom and the showing issue is the sacrifices that they're offering to the Lord. And, and what would be the root cause of the problem? Disrespect. Good. Disrespect. Uh, so as we look here, we see that the Lord clearly takes issue with their offerings. Their sacrifices are not pleasing to the Lord. It's a problem that they offer that which is blemished, that which is blind. Uh, but that's not really at the heart of the issue. The foundational issue is where it starts. Verse 6, where is my honor? Verse 6, where is my fear? Verse 6, they despise his name. Uh, and then it goes on in verse 11, two times the Lord says, my name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the nations. Uh, verse 14, he says, I am a great king. And then all throughout the passage, we see the continual use of this term, the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts pictures God as not just the, the commander of Israel's armies, but the commander of all the heavenly angels, a, uh, all the heavenly hosts. And the Lord is the commander. He is the one who is supreme. He is the one who has in charge and is worthy of honor and respect and submission and so it, it points to God's, just his supremacy. And like the Septuagint translates this phrase for the Lord of hosts as the Lord Almighty. So it communicates his power. And as I considered this passage in, in relation to last week's passage, last week it was essentially that they were not grateful, that they did not appreciate God's covenant love. They said, how have you loved us? And this week, it's essentially foundational that they do not honor God. And as I reflected upon those two things beginning in Malachi chapter 1, it just brought to mind that these are the same two issues that Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 1. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and the animals and creeping things. And this is just such a penetrating analysis of our own worship that we see uh, played out in Malachi 1 and then in principle in Romans 1. 
Consider any time in your life where there is a lack of gratitude and a lack of thanksgiving. Consider any time where there is a lack of honor and esteem and reverence for God. Any time you see that there is a lack of those things in your life, you can be sure that there are idols lurking in the corners, that there is an idol not far uh, hidden in the shadows of your hearts. The reason that there is discontentment in us or a lack of gratitude is because we esteem other things as better than God. And because we don't have those things, we aren't content or we aren't grateful. Uh, and it's the same thing with honor. Uh, anytime that, there's, that God doesn't have the place of preeminence and uh, esteem and reverence is because you're giving that place to another thing. Uh, and so whether it's the desire for money or better health or wishing you were married, wishing your marriage was different, uh, wishing you had a different line of work or whatever it might be, the foundational problem is that God and all that He is to us and all that He has done for us, we're saying, is not enough for me. I must have something else that we're not giving thanks to God as God. We're not honoring Him as God. And that's every expression of ingratitude. And of course, we're all guilty of this in, in varying degrees. And it just exposes the, the impurity, the remaining impurity of our own worship and how desperate and needy we are for Christ. Uh, we, are, we are not that different than the Israelites here. We need the Lord to open our eyes to see His glory so that we esteem Him and cherish Him as He's worthy of being cherished. And like I said, the reason that we do not honor God as God is because other things have captured our allegiance. Uh, And whether you bow down to it or not, you have exchanged the glory of God for something created. And even at this point in Israel's history, they had pretty much been purged from the external forms of idolatry that characterized pre-exile. Uh, you know, they, they were not bringing Baal idols into the temple to bow down and worship them. And so, even though the external aspects of some of their worship had been purged from idolatry, clearly their hearts were still in need of transformation. And foundationally, the same root issues that led them to bring idols of Baal into the temple were still at work in their hearts. Why? Because they're not giving thanks to God as God and appreciating His covenant love, and they're not honoring Him as God. So you have this fundamental issue here in this passage of of Malachi 1, that they do not honor Him as God. They don't fear Him, and they don't relate to God as great. They don't treat Him as the God who is preeminent over all things. Okay, now... I want to kind of work through this a little bit slower. So that's the the foundational issue, that they do not honor Him as God. Now, the question is, this is a dispute. Remember, and and Malachi is uh, the arbiter between this dispute, between God and His covenant people. So, what is the evidence now that the Lord is bringing forth, that He's submitting to bring and establish His case against His people? What's His proof? sacrifices here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and, and what 
what characterizes their sacrifices? Yeah. All, all these things. Uh, they despise his name by offering polluted food. And the Lord explains that that's blind animals, the, the lame ones, the sick animals. You know, they wouldn't dare offer those things to the governor. He, he's the Persian ruler who's been set over their province. And, and God says, you wouldn't dare give those things to your governor. But you, you're fine with sacrificing them to me. And of course, we, we get this argument but I don't think we feel the full weight of it because, by and large, we're such an honorless culture, I think. You know, we, we openly mock our presidents. Uh, we revile our bosses. We make movies about it as a culture. Uh, we just expect, culturally, teenagers to be rebellious. And that's just American culture in general. I think even as West Coast people, we're even more casual but that's not the norm globally or historically. And I'll remind you that oftentimes it's not the attitude of Scripture either. Uh, we have a book that calls us to honor the emperor. We, we have a book that tells servants to be subject to their masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. You know, Old Testament law calls for children to honor their parents and the punishment for open, defiant violation was stoning by death. This is something that God takes very seriously. And globally and historically, there is a much more acute sense of honor for authority. And it's just good to be aware of where we're at culturally, uh, and that we're kind of an anomaly with most of world history. So we need to be extra aware, not only of our attitude towards human authority, but most importantly, to God's authority, that we are not just buddy-buddies. We are not just, he's our casual friend. His name will be great among the nations. He is the Lord of hosts. There is an honor and respect and reverence that is due to his name. And I think the fact that we don't even show honor and deference in our earthly relationships uh, it makes us it makes it more difficult for us to grasp and feel the weight of these arguments. Just for example, if you were Esther and you lived in a culture where to go before the king without an invitation meant your certain death unless that king extended the golden scepter to you, then you would have a much more acute sense of what it meant, the fear of dishonoring the king. Uh, you would be much more guarded in you, with the way that you speak about the king if you knew that it could cost you your life. You know, if King Nebuchadnezzar came to your village, you would make sure to do everything you could to, to honor his arrival. Uh, and by contrast, just being honest, if I tried to make application, well, of how you would honor the president to how you would honor God, well, I know a lot of evangelicals who are like, well, imagine if Joe Biden came to your house. They'd be like, Psh! That bum can eat outside for all I care. You know, like, it's just not really going to work by application. So if we try to reason, I try to make application like the Lord does here, as an illustration, you know, would you present that to your governor? Surely you wouldn't. But in our culture, that doesn't always work. I mean, we get the argument, but we don't necessarily feel the weight of it. So God says, you know, when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? 
Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Uh, and of course, the argument is from the lesser to the greater. Okay, so it's not good enough for your earthly governor, but you think it's fine for the king of heaven. That's okay. You turn around and, and give that to the Lord. And God says in verse 9, And now entreat the favor of the Lord. Uh, you know, they're like, we wouldn't give this to our governor, but now entreat the favor of the Lord that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. And so the Lord is just exposing the, the superficiality and even the hypocrisy, the flippancy, their disregard for him and for his name, uh, that they don't honor him as God. They, they don't give thanks to him as God. And then in 6 to 10, we see really the Lord's response. So he, he establishes his charges against them, and then he tells them his response towards their uh, attitude and their conduct towards him. So verses 10 to 12, how does the Lord respond to their worship? Kind of just in summary form. Saying, don't worship me because you don't do it right anyway. Yeah. How does how it good? How does the Lord feel about their worship? He rejects it. Yeah, he rejects it. Pretty simply, he's disgusted with their worship. Uh, he says in verse 10, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. This is just terrifying to me that these people are going through the external motions of their worship, and they probably think that this is pleasing to the Lord. They probably think that this is good, and that they're doing something that is pleasing to the Lord by it. And God's response is, Oh, that someone would just shut the doors, that someone would just lock up the temple, that you would stop offering these vain and stupid sacrifices because I take no pleasure in them. And I would submit to you that all around America right now, probably at this very moment, there are services that are taking place in the name of Christ. And I think the Lord's response would be, Oh, that someone would just shut the doors because I don't take any pleasure in what is going on in the, at this time. And I think we can, and I think we should, draw near to the Lord with confidence. That, that shouldn't be uh, the, the first thought in our, our mind. Why? Because we're trusting in Christ. And the whole book of Hebrews is an argument that we can draw near with confidence, trusting in the sufficiency of Christ's blood, that He does accept us, that He does take pleasure in us, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. And as we look to Christ and trust Christ, that we really can draw near with confidence. And yet, I think it should be a thought somewhere in the back of our minds that we keep this reality stowed away, and there's a prayer that says, Oh, Lord, may this never be me. May it never be my worship that you would say, Oh, that you would just stop. That, that someone would close the doors. And we, I think of the church at Ephesus, uh, where he says, You know, your hearts have, you've left and forsaken your first love. Repent and, and return to the, the things you were doing at first. And we say, Lord, Forbid it that I should lose my first love. Forbid it that I should just go through the motions and empty 
offer you empty and vain sacrifice. So we, we draw near with confidence, looking to Christ, trusting Him, and yet I think just knowing the, the weaknesses of our own hearts and how prone we are to wander, this should be a constant prayer in the back of our minds, Lord, keep me from this. Keep me from vain and empty worship. Because here God says to His covenant people, I have no pleasure in you. I have no pleasure in what you're doing because it's not actually worship that you're offering me. And so the, the Lord goes on and he, he tells them that He will not uh, allow His name to be despised forever, that He will not tolerate His name being belittled. In, in verse 11, He says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, My name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to My name, and a pure offering. For My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. I mean, how almost redundant and insistent can you be that God says, My name will not be belittled. And just kind of as a side note, if you're, if you're pre-millennial in your eschatology, you're probably going to read this in such a way that, that says, yes, in every place, incense will be offered to His name. A, a real incense and offering will be uh, made to the Lord. And that would take place in the millennial kingdom where God's rule and establish His reign is set forth on earth. If you're amillennial, uh, and if, if you don't know these terms at all, that's okay, we can talk about it another time. You're probably going to say, God is using categories that the Israelites are familiar with, imagery of worship, uh, and He's describing pure and acceptable worship to them in categories that they would understand. And, and He's simply saying, pure worship is going to be offered in all places to My name. Just as an exegetical point, like how do we actually understand this? But the point in either case is the same, that God is insistent that His name will not be regarded with disrespect and dishonor. That He will be revered. He will be honored. And then verses 13 to 14. I didn't really know how to work this into the, my outline. Like how, how does this function in, in the flow of the text? And it seems to me it's really just a summary of the, the dispute. He, he kind of summarizes the charges and tells them, reiterates his response. So can someone read verses 13 to 14 for us? But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand? Says the Lord, cursed be the sheep who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord was blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So, the Lord is, I think, summarizing their attitude towards worship. What a weariness this is. This is the whole aspect of, of bringing offerings and communicating reverence and awe of God, this is just a drag for them. This is going to the DMV. <laughs> this is filling out paperwork for them. It's just a, a thing that has to be done. They're obligated to do it. And as a result, they don't joyfully offer the Lord their best, but they begrudgingly and, and kind of cavalierly just get rid of the worst. They Here are my leftovers. Here are my seconds, Lord. Just take this. And I just want to take a minute. Do you have a question? I did. Yeah. No, maybe you're gonna go there. Um, can you give an example of what that looks like in uh, the New Testament? Yeah, we're gonna okay. yeah we're gonna spend the the like second part of the, I'm just 
kind of overview, and then we'll kind of discuss the, the whole... I should have explained that from the beginning. But really quickly, I just want to compare this to David's attitude in 2 Samuel 24. You don't have to flip there. I'm just going to summarize it. If you want to, you can. Uh, but So in 2 Samuel 24... God tells David to go and buy a threshing floor and to build an altar. And it belonged to a man named Aruna. And uh, when David gets there, Aruna says, you know, why is my Lord here? And so David tells him, I want to buy this threshing floor from you. And uh, I want to build an altar here and offer worship to the Lord. And if you are flipping along, I think it's verse 18 to 24. But immediately... Aruna responds just wonderfully. He says, here, is, here it is, my Lord. Take it. You can have the threshing floor. You can have the oxen. You can have everything. It's yours. Offer it to the Lord and worship. Does anyone know how David responds when Aruna offers him the threshing floor? He offers him the oxen. He says, take it all. You can have it. What does David, how does David respond? Does anybody know? Yeah, he said, no, I'm, I'm going to pay for it because... I can't offer to God something that didn't cost me anything. Yeah, exactly. David says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. And what a contrast that is to the Israelites in Malachi 1. The Israelites say, I won't offer to the Lord anything that costs me something. And David says, I won't offer anything that costs me nothing. My worship will be costly. And I would just consider to ask ourselves, are we more like David in our worship, or are we more like the Israelites? What has obedience, what has worshiping God costed you in your Christian life? Perhaps financially, but otherwise too. In your time, in your freedoms, earthly pleasures, And as others have said before me, a Christianity which costs you nothing is a Christianity that is worth nothing. Jesus said to his followers, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains a whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And even though our Christianity should be costly, that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be joyful. The Christian is enabled to make costly sacrifices with joy because of the knowledge and the conviction that we have a greater treasure. And you see this so clearly in the book of Hebrews, I'll just read it to you. It says, the author says to the Christians, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Was having their property plundered because of their allegiance to Christ costly? Was it, I'm sure, painful to lose everything that they possessed? Yes, it was. And yet... Were they able to do it with joy? Yes. Why? Because they knew that they had a better possession, a more valuable treasure. And so the more that we appreciate and esteem the treasure that we have in Christ, the the more loosely we can hold on to whatever earthly blessings that we possess. 
uh, whatever earthly goods, we can let those go, not just begrudgingly, not reluctantly, but even joyfully. Why? Because we know that we have a better possession. Ultimately, having God as our God, having God as our Father, and that should liberate us uh, from undue earthly attachments such that we can sacrifice otherwise costly things with joy. We'll just finish this. So the Lord says, Shall I accept from your hand? Shall I accept that from your hand? And then verse 14, the Lord pronounces a curse upon the one who offers a blemish sacrifice while withholding the best for himself. And then once again, God insists upon his own greatness and that his name will be feared among the nations. Okay, so now we have, we're transitioning, now we're reflecting, we're going to have a time of discussion. So, uh, in our passage, we already covered this, but the, the root problem is that they do not honor him or they do, and they do not fear God. So, in context, just for kind of re-summarizing, how is that lack of honor, that lack of fear communicated towards God in the context of Malachi 1? What is the, the showing problem? Yeah, good. So, blemish, polluted, they're secondhand. Now, what are the sacrifices that we offer? Because as New Covenant Christians... We don't have a sacrificial system. We're not bringing lambs and goats. Uh, Christ is the Lamb of God who has been slain once and for all, the perfect sacrifice. We've done away with the external aspects of animal sacrifice. So how does that translate into a new covenant context for us as believers in Christ? Uh, What are the sacrifices that we bring to God? Primarily our worship of Him. When we come to Sunday services, we're there to bring honor to His name. And our tithing is our sacrifice now. Romans 12, one says our bodies are to be a living sacrifice. Yeah. And and that looks like not being transformed or conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewal of our mind. He, He specifies what offering our bodies a living sacrifice looks like. Yeah, uh, so the, the most summary and overarching text that we could point to would be Romans 12, where Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or acceptable worship. So the stakes weren't lowered as we moved into the new covenant because you don't have the obligation of bringing animal sacrifices for worship. The stakes just got a lot higher. You're, you're not bringing a sacrifice to the Lord. You are the sacrifice to the Lord. And all of you is supposed to be consecrated to the Lord as pure, holy, and acceptable sacrifice. So each and every day you're saying, Lord, all that I am, all that I have, is yours. Let me be conformed to the image of Christ. Let my mind uh, be renewed by the truth. Let my body be pure and holy. Let all of my life, all of my conduct, ascend to you as a pleasing sacrifice, acceptable in your sight. So, like I, I remember having a, there was a younger Christian, and he was like, what? You don't believe in tithing? And I was like, 
no, I don't think tithing is a New Testament principle. And he's like, how can you not believe tithing? Like, I thought you were spiritual. And I was like, but it's not 10%. It's everything you have. Like, everything you have is the Lord's. And now you're called to steward that. And it, it might be 10%. And it might be 20%. It might be 25%. And it might be less. But the point is that everything is the Lord's. It's not as if 10% belongs to him and 90% belongs to you. All of it is his. And he's called you to steward that in a way to most honor and glorify him. Jesus said, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. (laughs) So you come to Christ. That doesn't mean you give away every single penny that you make, but it does mean you renounce ownership. You, You fundamentally acknowledge that everything I have and everything that I am is yours, that I belong to you, Lord. And so I would say that's the most overarching way of that we offer sacrifices. It's us, and it's all that we have. Uh, but then the, the New Testament does specify other ways. For example, in Philippians 4.18, Paul says to the Philippians, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Also in Hebrews, I think, 13.15, uh, The author says, Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to the Lord. So, yes, everything, all that we are, all that we have, our very selves we offer to God as a sacrifice. And, and yet, it also, we see clearly that our financial resources, Paul says th- this was a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God as the Philippian church supported Paul in his missionary endeavors. The author of Hebrews says that we offer to God a sacrifice of praise. It's the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Uh, doing good, sharing what, with, what you have with others. Th- these are sacrifices are pleasing to God, the author of Hebrews says. So these are various ways that we take what belongs to us and we offer it to the Lord. Now, what are ways that, and and there's other things we could pursue and we'll kind of hash some of those out as we go on. What are ways that we as Christians offer to God blind and the lame blemished goats of our our worship. What, what does that look like? What does polluted worship, in light of those things, look like for us? I think it's like just going through the motions. You you go to Sunday with nothing but, well, it's an obligation, so I'm there. You don't go there with joy. So, yeah, going through the motions. What, what other things in the whole of our life that can be polluted sacrifices? The blemished, the blind goats of our Blocks, so to say. Being selfish, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being, yeah, being selfish, and that can obviously take uh, form in a multitude of different ways. You had alluded to it early on where you said something to the effect, I can't remember Gregory phrased it, but it was if there's discontentment, there's an idol somewhere. Mm-hmm. Something that I just said. Yeah. Say something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or, so just having 
other gods before him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether it's your kids or your, you know, your personal security or personal finance security or whatever. Just yeah. Over him. I think of Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira where they were giving them worship for, you know, finances to God, but they were really doing it for their own self-image so they could be recognized and um, I think it's easy to do the same thing. We don't necessarily compare how much tithe everyone gives, but we do or I think it's a temptation to worship in a way to be involved in church in a way to, that is really just about our own reputation and our own um, self-image. Yeah. I keep thinking about Jesus watching the, uh, the offering box. It's like these Pharisees sweeping in there with their, all their tassels, and they're like, "Oh, watch me drop this bag of gold in the offering box to some kind of somebody." <laughs> you know, and then this poor widow just like she's like, "Man, this is all I got, God, but it's yours." You know, he's like, "She gave more than everybody." Mm-hmm. That one right there. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah. She gave it all. Yeah, and I didn't develop this, but I was thinking about this. Would the, the Lord says, you know, you offer me these blind and blemish and lame goats. Will I accept these from your hand? Like, no, I'm not going to accept them. I take no pleasure in your worship. And I was thinking, if that was all they had, would the Lord accept it? Yeah, yeah I think he would. Why? Because it's the same exact principle of the, the widow's might. The, the Lord didn't say, what is this might? I'm a great king. Am I going to accept that from you? No. Jesus says, this woman gave more than all these other Pharisees, than all these people who gave. Why? Because they gave out of their abundance. But she gave all that she had. Uh, it, it's not as if the Lord wants you know, our money. It's not as if the Lord wants their, their best goats, as if He cared about the goats. Uh, what, what does He want? Their worship. <laughs> he wants their heart. And so that was just a point of, you know, Clarification as we read this, and the Lord does insist upon His own greatness. It's not as if He cares about the goats; He wants their hearts. But there are other things, like nitty gritty things. Uh, I would say simply our time. You know, if we have time for two hours of TV and social media, but we don't have any time to read our Bible during the day, there there's something going on here, and or, or maybe we got two hours for a TV and we've got like the verse of the day we have time for the verse of the day while we go to the bathroom or something it's like there's an incongruence there it's like oh I'll give the Lord something you know and that's I would say oftentimes I don't want to make any rules of saying this is how much time or this is how many chapters or anything like that that's not my goal but it is to say for each and every one of us to search our hearts and say am I giving the Lord my leftovers and my seconds, the blind and the blemish, that, like, the Lord can have that. I'm going to prioritize these things in my life, and the Lord can have this. See what... I was going to say, it's also just our interaction with others. Right? I know I'm guilty of, you know, talking with someone, and then they're telling me about their, their viewpoint on the Lord, which I know is wrong, and not necessarily going into detail. You know, I'm interacting with some person at the you know, over the counter at like the feed store and they're telling me what I would consider well which is, is false worship. You know, and in an an, un- an uneducated or misunderstanding of who the Lord is, not diving into no you're wrong. Right? That's not how you worship the Lord. Or that's not that you need to be a part of a body, like that kind mm. of stuff. Yeah. Right? Like that 
not evangelizing mm-hmm. and, and shying away. Yeah. Uh, and, and really, as Calvin said, the, the human heart is a factory of idols. Like, there's no shortage of ways that it, it finds expression in our life. But, you know, we, I'd say that the simple ones, these categories are our time, our money. So that's not the only thing, but it is a thing. Uh, you know, you have a multitude of, you have a budget for all your, your hobbies and all these other endeavors and things you're doing, but you just have, you know, scant leftovers for whether it's the local church or global, global missions. Okay, what, what is it that you really cherish and treasure? Uh, what is it that really takes priority in your heart and in your budget? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And like Beverly mentioned, our attention, simply as we gather for corporate worship, I don't want to offend anybody, but I don't know if this is, somebody's going to be guilty in here, but I, so many times I, like, I've walked into services and corporate worship is taking place. We're offering a sacri- sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. And, and I see people like, so, like scrolling on the phone in one hand with their coffee in the other hand and like just totally like absent from worship is being offered to the one true and living God but what is on your phone is more captivating that is what is you know you wouldn't dare do that in the presence of even your boss but you're willing to do it in the presence of God while worship is being offered to his name and it's like those are things that just grind my gears and I want to just like take their phones and throw it against the wall Uh, (laughs) so all all sorts of things like that um and it might be external things, or, or just, we all know, the, the weakness of our flesh in our own hearts. Worship is being offered to God, and where are our minds? Uh, we need to, to search our hearts. Yeah, I just want to throw in real quick that God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything. Um, you know, this is a misapprehension of who God is. And what the true nature of this interaction, what, why he has asked us to worship him, is it because he needs something from mm-hmm. us? Mm-hmm. You know, it's for us, it's for us, it's for our benefit. You know, we are the recipients, really, of the of the of the of the goodness of God in that interaction, mm-hmm. not not vice versa. It's not like like oh man, you know. Yeah, I didn't get a good enough goat. No. You know, God's oh, he's hurting now because we didn't offer enough stuff. Yeah, it's, not, it's a total misapprehension of what's going on, what the true nature of the relationship is. Yeah, I'm still getting a feel for like how much time everything takes teaching in this format. So I have a ton of content that so I just kind of rushed through some of this. But okay, how should we respond with the awareness of our own imperfect sacrifice? So, uh, I, w- I would distinguish between two levels here. Of There's a volitional aspect, like if you're on your phone scrolling through social media while Jeremy is preaching, you need to stop. <laughs> Just stop what you're doing and redirect your attention. Okay? But there's another level where you're sitting there, you're listening, and your heart and your mind are in other places. Or you're worshiping. There's words coming out of praise, coming out of your mouth, 
and yet your heart and your mind are in other places. In reality, what are we doing? We're offering blind goats, and like this is not pure and holy worship that we're offering, uh, because our minds and our hearts are still being captivated by other things. Uh, so what do we do? Uh, if it's a, a volitional thing, where like you're making a decision to just stop and repent, <laughs> stop doing that, but these other categories of it, just ongoing sanctification issues, we, we still need to repent and we need to ask for the Lord's forgiveness, ask for His enabling grace, and then also offer it to Him knowing that even our worship has to be sanctified by the blood of Christ. And that even, even the best of our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord in and of themselves. And yet, the Lord... Jesus Christ is such a sufficient high priest that He can, by His blood, sanctify even our worship and make it pure, make it acceptable, and make it pleasing to God's sight. In, in God's sight. So even when we do offer Him our imperfect worship, we're, we're trusting that Christ is going to take that, cover it by His blood, and Christ as our high priest is going to come and say, Father, here is a sacrifice. And He's going to present it in His name and, and make it acceptable and pleasing uh, and so I, I want to guard against us feeling like, oh, all my worship is just worthless. All of my worship, the Lord would say, I take no pleasure in it. Uh, that's not the case. Not because our worship is so pure and perfect, but because we have a great high priest who is able to purify and cleanse our worship and make it acceptable to God. And so we still need to be repenting. We say, Lord, forgive me for the ways in which my mind wanders purify me from this, help me to worship you in a way that's pleasing and acceptable, and at the same time, thank you that you provided for me a high priest who's able to make my imperfect worship perfect and pleasing in your sight. What else do I have here? Okay, so this is a really good question to address with three minutes left. Uh, (laughs) God says throughout this passage three times, My name will be great among the nations. I am a great king. Now I say, why is it okay for God to insist on his own greatness? Uh, Because if this is not God, if I hear somebody else talk like this, I'm going to assume that they have security issues. I'm going to assume all sorts of like, what's wrong with this guy? Uh, If his attitude is like this. Why do we make an exception for God? Uh, and I'm just going to highlight two things. This is what Raymond was talking about. Um, but number one, it's right. It's actually right for God to insist upon His own preeminence. Because, for one simple reason, He actually is supremely valuable and worthy in a way that no other creature is. He alone is the eternal, infinite, all-valuable, worthy, all-perfect all God. It would be wrong of God to give His glory to another. It would actually be a perverse form of idolatry for God to say, I'm going to work in such a way to promote the greatness of a creature rather than myself. To give, I'll try to make it brief, of, uh, you know, like a Nobel Peace Prize. If that Nobel Peace Prize went to a known, like, mafia leader or, or somebody who ran a sex trafficking ring, and everybody knew that this person was like a very guilty, treacherous person. And this person wins a prize and is awarded for their virtue. 
And not, not only is there somebody else who's getting defrauded, but even everyone else would be like, this is just wrong. This, this person shouldn't be extolled. This person shouldn't be esteemed and held up. For God to esteem and extol any other creature, to insist upon the greatness or promote the greatness of anyone else, it would be for God to do that. Uh, it would be for Him to, to commit idolatry. Uh, and I know that that might be, maybe you've never thought in those categories, but God is the only one who is worthy of praise and honor and glory. And it, it would actually be immoral of God to do something else to promote the, the praise and adulation of one who is not worthy. And this is what Raymond was picking up on. It's actually kind of God. We are created as worshipers. And the fullest expression of our joy is to know God in the fullness of His glory, to see Him as He is, and to worship Him in light of that glorious revelation of His person, of His work. And so the most kind and gracious, merciful thing that God can do is show His glory to His creatures, to put His glory on display so that we can then behold His glory and Rejoice and delight and revel in the beauty of our Creator and Redeemer and Sustainer, our Shepherd, all the thing, the ways that God manifests His glory. It's, it's the most gracious thing that God can do to make His glory known to His creatures. Does anybody have one, any <laughs> question that they are, really want to ask before we close? I think we need to just be careful that we, we understand that the symptoms of bad worship, we tend to measure externally, right? But God's interested in the heart, right? So the biggest accusation that Jesus made against the Pharisees was not that their worship wasn't pure, but that their hearts were corrupt, right? So they, were, they had corrected all the problems with the worship of the day of post-exilic, right? They were, like, doing everything right. Mm-hmm. And so we, just because we're doing everything right doesn't mean our hearts are in the right spot. Mm-hmm. Right? So we can we have motives that could be antithetical to God's greatness because our motives are still wrong. So just those externals, we're still talking about externals, right? Mm-hmm. This, there's, a, there's a ditch on both sides yeah. where we can be actively profaning God's name or we can be acting like we're elevating God's but actually promoting ourselves. So, it's, uh, we need to be careful when yeah. we look at the externals. <clears throat> Easy. How we use our time is an indication of where our heart is. Mm-hmm. It's not the end. Yeah. But, and I think the ditch on the other side, Steve, and I, I think it's both, you know, we, we're saying two sides of the same thing, I think, that um, we can so focus on heart worship and we just say, like, basically anything goes. Like, we can just worship God. As long as your heart's in the right place, it doesn't matter if you touch the ark or not, whether God, or carry it the way that you weren't supposed to. Right. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of, you can sing and dance and offer flags. And, you, know, you can do, we can easily emphasize just the heart worship and then neglect, like, God's revealed word that actually tells us how he wants us to worship him. Which yeah. is, you know, obviously, we see that in many yeah. ways in our, in our day. Yeah. So... We're not going to plumb the depths today, but, but that's a, just a good guardrail, Steve, to if, if what I said was not balanced uh, or not didn't strike that emphasis that all these external things are just indicators of the heart, and yet they sh- they're, they're indicators. And so 
if there's imbalances and incongruities, incongruences in, in our life, then there, there are indications that something is at play in our hearts, which is not right. Um, yeah. I, I think just like if we were checking the boxes, if I'm like, yeah. I spent my two hours today, yeah. and I you know, committed these acts of service, then I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. 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 So good, good corrective. Uh, let, let's pray. Father, we are convicted uh, by Malachi chapter one. Uh, we see that the Israelites uh, did not give thanks to you as God. They did not honor you as God. And uh, we know that behind those, inevitably, there's idols of other things which captivated their attention and their allegiance and their hearts. Uh, and Lord, there are so many idols in this world which vie for our attention and our affection. And Lord, we know that, that we don't offer you pure worship in and of ourselves. We don't offer you, uh, we don't worship you as we should. And Lord, we repent of that. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would purify our hearts, cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. Uh, and yet we, we praise Christ, our high priest, our mediator, who goes between us to not only forgive us, but then even to take our imperfect works and our imperfect sacrifices and, and make them pleasing and acceptable in the sight of a holy God. Uh, so we praise you for Christ as our, our great high priest. Uh, we thank you for his blood that, that covers our sins and covers even our acts of, of our good works. Help us to esteem you, to honor you, and to fear you as we ought to, uh, and to love you as the one who's loved us first. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.